trust the movement I negate the chaos Uplift the negative I'll show up at the table Again and again Welcome to Grassroot Ohio Conversations with everyday people Working on important issues Here in Columbus and all around Ohio I'm Carolyn Harding And today I'm talking with Morgan Harper Democratic candidate for the United States Senate Morgan Harper was born at the Ohio State University Hospital, living in a foster home for the first nine months of her life before being adopted and raised on the east side of Columbus by a public school teacher. After receiving financial aid with help from the Ron Brown Scholar Program, Morgan went on to graduate from Tufts, Princeton, and she got her law degree from Stanford. After graduating, Morgan clerked at the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Ohio, worked as a paralegal at the Federal Trade Commission, and served as a senior advisor at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau under the Obama administration, protecting consumers against predatory corporations. Most recently, Morgan was director of policy and advocacy at the American Economic Liberties Project and also co-founded Columbus Stand Up, a grassroots community organization that mobilized volunteers across central Ohio in response to the pandemic and the 2020 election. Morgan is now running to represent Ohio in the U.S. Senate to get political and economic power back on the side of working people. Voting rights are on everyone's mind right now. And I'll share a recent quote from you, Morgan. If our leaders were serious about upholding democracy rather than their own power, passing voter protections wouldn't even be a question. We don't have time to sit on crucial legislation like the John Lewis Act and the Freedom to Vote Act. Our democracy is under attack now. Can you explain to our listeners what these two acts would do for our voters, for us as voters, and what's holding them up from passage and what we need to do to get them passed? Yeah. Well, one, thanks for having me, Carolyn. It's always good to be in conversation with you. And I appreciate all that you're doing to continue to highlight a lot of the work that's happening on the ground. Um, You know, these bills are about putting an end to the gerrymandering. And right now we're in a situation where we don't really have a representative democracy in the sense that each person's vote isn't counting (laughs) in the way that it should. And that is no longer sustainable. And in Ohio, we're feeling the effects of that. We have the gerrymandering. It was found to be partisan. We passed a law to force change there. And the state government is making it very clear they have no intention of really doing anything to change. And hopefully the Supreme Court will decide in the right way. But in the meantime, the federal level of government is our best avenue for protecting our fundamental right to vote. So, you know, that's the that's the most important part of what these acts are about. And until that is done, then yeah, a, democracy is a little bit of a, an aspiration and not a reality for the United States. And that is a crisis. So, you know, I, I think that, and I was just thinking about that this morning, because a lot of people, and I'm sure you probably interact with a lot of people who say, well, it's not Biden's fault. Well, it's not the Senator, it's not democratic senators fault. You know, it's the Republicans and it's, it's that we have the filibuster, but we have seen this scenario coming for quite some time. And so, you know, I, I think that we need to stop making excuses. We need to get rid of the filibuster. We need to be more aggressive about passing this legislation and then calling out the people who stand in the way of doing so. And it's it's good to see that people are starting to see these tactics as not necessarily radical, but fundamentally necessary to preserve our democracy. Now there's two of them. Why two? Why not just one of these yeah. uh, acts? Well, 
I don't know exactly why they're in separate acts. I'll be honest with you. Um, but you know, they, they each are getting at different things. And so, um, yeah, you know, they're, they're two of them. Okay. So, um, I noticed that, um, President Biden was down in Georgia and a lot of the um, activists weren't there because they said we should be passing these and not Mm -hmm. just doing another photo op. Right. So what do you think about that? Well, I think that's coming from a place of frustration. I mean, a lot of people, the message for the 2020 election was turn out to vote because we have to save our democracy. And then people didn't necessarily hear that leadership coming from the White House during the first you know, year in office. And, and so the, the greatest power that the president has is the bully pulpit. And that needed to be exercised early and often on this issue uh, to, I think, you know, fulfill what the, the promise that was made to a lot of voters, especially in Georgia, that then was able to deliver the Senate majority. And so, you know, we're, we're in an interesting time right now. And I, I, I do think that there is a sky high level of frustration. I hear that not just among folks who describe themselves as progressive or, you know, who are used to challenging the party, but even among more traditional Democrats who are feeling like we aren't, we aren't delivering, we don't have enough fight and we are just handing over power to mansion and cinema who, you know, we had nothing to do with electing and why, why would we let that happen? So, um, you know, we're, we're at a, it's been said a lot before in terms of different crossroads for the country, but I I really think we're, we continue to be at one and the stakes, the stakes are very high, but what makes me optimistic is that we have a lot of people who are aware of it and it's growing, I would say, in terms of the coalition of people who understand that we can't keep going in this way. And we've got to, we've got to get aggressive here. So five months ago, you kicked off your Senate campaign in front of the Ohio State House. You're a woman, a young woman, 38 years old, a very progressive Democrat running against um, an established Democrat candidate, Tim Ryan. Why you and why now? Mm -hmm. We need to win. That's the that's the main message. We have people who are in on the Republican side, uh, J.D. Vance, Josh Mandel, who, you know, speaking of voting rights and democracy, have no interest in really preserving or advancing those rights um, and in a, a lot of other threats that they, they pose. And um, and they have to be stopped, but not just stopped to get a Democrat elected or to get Morgan Harper into the United States Senate stopped because we have a lot of really serious issues on our hands that we have folks who are not able to lead stable lives in our state. And we need to have federal interventions to make sure that everybody gets a chance to live out their potential, which is my main goal. And I feel like I'm in the best position to put together the coalition that's going to be necessary to turn out the voters to win. Yeah, I've noticed you've been barnstorming Ohio in a big way. Barbershops, food pantries, community centers, no debates yet. Mm-hmm. But what are you finding Ohioans want and need right now? There's a lot of hurt, fear, and anxiety right now, I would say. If I had to sum up the sentiments that I am hearing from people all over the state, in Columbus, in the, you know, the other three C's, in some of the smaller cities, Toledo, in you know, more rural areas, that people are scared uh, that they don't recognize what their communities have become uh, with things like yeah. the, the CRT scandal that, that was taking over local school board elections yeah. with Trumpism that, you know, was a, it was an expression of the Trumpism that is growing intensely in our state. Yeah. But then yeah. fundamentally that the social contract has yeah. been broken, that if you if you put the work in, that you're going to be OK. And, and having you know, conversations with people who are in their 60s yeah. and felt like they had done everything right and then now find themselves raising three grandchildren because their child had an overdose that they had 
you know, nothing to do with. So in addition to mourning a loss of a child, you're now finding yourself raising three more uh, with no additional financial resources. So, you know, that's just one example, but I, I, I do think, you know, and I was alluding to this before, you know, with that, just the, the diversity of people that are feeling that we, we can't have another 20 years, like the 20 years that precede us, uh, that we have an opportunity to, to chart out a new course here, but it's not a guarantee and really relies on a lot of people, you know, continuing to engage and, and even despite all the COVID challenges and you know, believe a little bit and, and put the, the work in to turn people out. So Morgan, what are your top priorities when you get to the Senate? Yeah. So there are some, what I would describe as, you know, structural priorities, if you want to put it that way, a couple of them, we've already talked about voting rights. You know, we need to make sure that we are preserving our democracy, putting an end to the gerrymandering, making sure that people have access, easy access to vote. Uh, But then to make that happen and a lot of other legislation, we need to do something about the filibuster and get rid of that. We, We can't, right now, we don't have a situation where you can just develop bills and then pass legislation that are focused on one issue. It has to be all done through these different procedural tricks. And that only doesn't let the public know about what it, what's actually in any of these pieces of legislation, but it makes it much harder for them to get through. So uh, those are the structural things that are going to be necessary to pass you know, more substantive priorities, which for me are about you know, preserving and guaranteeing that access to opportunity for everybody in Ohio. What's that going to take? We have to be investing in renewable energy, you know, both addressing the climate crisis and investing in creating job opportunities that are going to be clean energy jobs that are jobs of the future that pay people enough to live. We have a big opportunity there. We need to seize it. Uh, and we need to be one of the states that's on the forefront and on that front. Uh, we need to make sure that everybody has access to healthcare, universal healthcare, Medicare for all. That is one of the, the top priorities that I have. You know, it's not just a coverage issue. It's also a cost. And the way to control those costs is by making sure that we're leveraging the negotiating power of the federal government. Another you know, big priority for me. And then, you know, as we're thinking about just what it's going to take for you know, small businesses to also compete and workers to be in a strong position to be able to earn the wages to live. You know, I, I really am, this is a little one's a little more wonky, but you know, on issues of competition policy, antitrust, which I've been on the show talking about before, that that refresh is going to be necessary to then make sure that we have small business owners and workers alike that are doing well in Ohio. And that's another focus of mine. So what are your skills that you know? that are honed, that are ready to go the day you get um, inaugurated as a senator. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because a lot of people think, oh, you're so young. (laughs) I sometimes get that reaction. Uh, You know, why why are you running for this? It's kind of shooting high. And and I I totally understand that. I mean, relative to the average member of the United States Senate, I am very young. Um, But we also, I think, need to evaluate what the average age of the U.S. Senate is, right? And then also compare that to the average age of the United States population, which I'm much closer to in age, you know, being 38. So, um, and the other thing I would point to is, you know, I've been in and out of Washington for the past 15 years. So I've worked at think tanks, advocacy organizations. I've worked in the federal government at the CFPB. I understand how that place works and its limitations, that we don't have a policy problem, we have a politician problem. And to change that, we have to have people who get elected, who have the understanding of DC, but then also what's going on at the community level. And those are the different skill sets that I combine. And most importantly, that I am not looking to be a career politician. I'm making a commitment 
to only serve two terms in the U.S. Senate. I think that's necessary to rebuild trust in government, that people can elect folks that are going to continue to be about the community and not themselves when in office. And I, you know, I, I think that's a, a fundamental change that needs to happen in the short term because we have so many people who are disillusioned with government in Washington in particular. Two terms, Morgan. That's terms. eight years. Uh, 12 years because each, each Senate term is six. Oh, I just learned that. I know. Six yeah. terms, 12 years. Tricky. Okay, then yeah. you would yeah. go back to, you know, working as a lawyer or what would well, you yeah. do? I mean, it's hard to predict next week uh, in the time yeah. that we're living in, but I, I would say, you know, there's still so much to do. There's so many different ways to contribute. I, I would be really focused on training up, and, and this would be, you know, throughout serving in office, training up the next generation to be able to lead. Uh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to just hold on to power and hoard power. I want to distribute power. That's, that's my philosophy. And so, you know, being able to make sure that someone else who's ready to go is, is running and, and ideally a a few people are ready to go and run, that would be great. But, um, but right now I feel very prepared to be able to come in with an understanding of what Ohio needs and have the, the understanding of, of Washington to, to pull that off and fight for it. This is Carolyn Harding with Grassroot Ohio, and today I'm talking with Morgan Harper. She's a candidate to be the next Ohio U.S. Senator. Now, in your 2020 run against Congresswoman Joyce Beatty for um, District 3, which was my district, she accused you of raising false hopes by backing programs like Medicare for All and the Green New Deal without a plan to pay for it. How do you respond to that now? It's so interesting. The the two years that we have lived through since I launched uh, the last campaign, I think it's opened a lot of people's eyes into uh, to just how how much resources are at the federal level and that we're essentially making all of this up. We decide on our priorities and we fund them. That's what the federal government does. And we've seen that, you know, when when necessary, those resources can be marshaled for a lot of different purposes. In the case of covid relief, for example, that, that happened, that we were able to, to deliver value to people to make sure that they made it through you know, the peak of, well, there are a lot of peaks, it, it seems like with the pandemic, but certainly the first one that hit. And so you know, with all of this, I try to point people to just that fact that this is what the federal government does. It has the resources to then support people across the country based on priorities that we decide on, informed by what's happening on the ground. Yeah. But then also I would say that you know, we spend a lot of money on things that we don't necessarily see a lot of return on. Take, for example, our defense budget, right, which is, you know, just eclipses the amount of spending that any other developed country uh, is, is spending on defense, that a lot of that money that also has been seen to go to defense contractors, not necessarily benefiting anyone, you know, any average person. And so I would, you know, be supportive of reducing that level of spending and reprioritizing investment in people, in our, our healthcare system. Um, but again, not just investing in you know, the top line healthcare and then letting it go to the insurance industry, for example, but making sure that it's delivering value to real people. All right. So I see that Medicare for all is a top priority as well as voting and um, the Build Back Better. Is that the new name for the Green New Deal? <laughs> well, you, you raise a, another another important point that kind of connects to um, to your your previous question is you know 
oftentimes a lot of these policy ideas will get attacked as being very out there um, or too left or too radical or whatever, as if, you know, have, you know, people having healthcare and doing something about the climate crisis is anything but rational. And what's interesting in this period where, you know, some of these policies that were proposed in the Green New Deal getting adopted by more moderate or traditional Democrats, then what, what are they? <laughs> are they still are they still out there when it's you know Joe Biden who's saying he supports them? I think what, politics is very scrambled right now, and that is an opportunity because it's it's exposing that a lot of these critiques aren't rooted in reality or in the data or in doing the right thing, but just in people who already have a lot of power and wealth who want to preserve the status quo. And that that is not sustainable anymore. And I think more and more people are aware of that, aware of that fact. And the other thing I would point to in terms of like how we support, you know, a lot of these investments that are just necessary for us to continue to be a going concern as a nation is, you know, closing a lot of tax loopholes. We're losing a lot of revenue based on, you know, allowing multi large multinational corporations to essentially do whatever they want as they bribe off a lot of our elected officials in Washington. So let's close those loopholes. Let's make sure that we're getting as much revenue as possible and then directing that investment at the community level. Okay, so some um, some of the other progressive issues, do you champion them? Um, public education, right now, vouchers are going crazy in Ohio, and there's mm-hmm. a lawsuit against the state of Ohio from um, a bunch of um, school districts. There's um, taxes, which you covered, but and the war machine, which you covered, police reform and qualified immunity, mass incarceration, unions, livable wage, gun control, reproductive rights, and housing. I know that the federal government doesn't, doesn't, isn't in charge of all of those issues, mm-hmm. but of those issues, where do you stand? Ooh, okay. Well, you listed a lot of those. I did. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Qualified um, immunity. Let's start with there. Yeah. So I do support qualified, ending qualified immunity. And, you know, anybody who is real about trying to end, you know, incidents of violence that result in the loss of life by someone who's paid to keep us safe uh, needs to be supporting that policy. It's it's pretty clear that you have to have accountability and then put the right incentives in place to help ensure that accountability. And one of the best ways to do that, I believe, is ending qualified immunity. So, you know, that's one of the things that in legislation that was developed after last summer that, you know, some sitting elected members of Congress said that they would be supportive of, and then they were comfortable stripping that away. And, that's not right. I, I am committed to you know keeping that in any legislation that's related to um, you know ensuring public public safety and, and ending police violence. So that's a big one for me. And you know, I've worked with a lot of advocates across the state on that on that issue and, and continue to do what I can to support. Uh, and you're right. I mean, the federal government doesn't have any control over all of the issues that you listed, but what you know, getting back to the, the resources point, what the federal government has is the ability to direct resources in a certain way to local state governments, and then also um, create different incentives based on what policies those levels of government might adopt to then help to promote certain policy outcomes, even if the federal government doesn't have total control. Um, And so, you know, I'm supportive of making sure that we're investing in our public schools, absolutely. Um, that we are investing in housing. I mean, one of the issues that has come up in talking to housing advocates across the state and, and residents is just the lack of high quality housing. I mean, sometimes you get a voucher to then make sure that you're able to have the financial support to get housing, but then 
the conditions that it's in are not really any that re- reflect a belief that people are you know, worthy of a quality home, that we're not forcing a lot of property owners to be able to, to keep up with the standards of what we think you know, quality housing should look like. So that's an enforcement issue. And you could drive more resources to make sure that we are you know, observing what the conditions are and then forcing those who own property to increase the standard of that housing. But then I also think we need to increase the housing stock overall. There's a lack of supply. The housing markets in a lot of parts of Ohio have gotten really expensive for people. Wages aren't keeping up. And so we need to make sure that we're continuing to invest and build more housing. And that's definitely something that the federal government can be part of of that investment and, um, and helping to increase overall stock and rehab existing stock because, you know, it doesn't always have to be new builds. I mean, I think there's some innovative things happening with former hotels, for example, being, you know, retrofitted into um, providing apartments for people who maybe don't have the ability to work enough to earn money to pay for their own housing. That's really important. I think as more people are aging, we're going to have to think creatively about housing options for seniors. That's something that, you know, we need to be getting ahead of and the federal government has a role to play there. And I would be supportive of, you know, those types of policies. One thing that makes me very confident in you, Morgan, is that you do really understand finance and policies and the consumer. Um, You've had experience in that kind of work. And I feel like you could go to Washington and do an incredible job. It's not a skill set that's beyond you. And I really appreciate that about you specifically. I want to go on and ask you about gun control. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's not a popular topic for Mm -hmm. legislators to take on because the gun lobby is so strong. But what would you do for Ohio Mm -hmm. as far as guns? Yeah. Well, and I will point out that my opponent in the Democratic primary used to be a a member of the NRA, has had to evolve on that issue. Is one of the top takers of lobbyist money in Congress. Right. And so, you know, at, at at the root of a lot of these policy issues that we're talking about is electing someone that is going to stand on the side of doing the right thing without having to be convinced of it or evolve. And, and that is something that I'm offering to the people of Ohio. And, you know, on this issue, I mean, we need to have strong gun control legislation that's going to make sure that people have background checks, that we don't have weapons that, you know, a lot of, a lot of people probably have no, no need for at, you know, the community level. And I think even a lot of gun advocates agree with that at this point, that we've gotten a a little bit out of control with just the range of weapons that are widely available. Um, but when people do have those weapons, as it's legal to do in Ohio, that we make sure that you know they're keeping weapons safe so that we don't have kids who are accidentally gaining access to them. And as we've seen in communities across the state, and sometimes accidentally killing themselves or others around them. That's, you know, that's something that needs to stop. But we we need to be real about the fact that, you know, we have a lot of safety issues. That's something that's come up a lot during the campaign is people feeling like they need to take their protection into their own hands, that there's so much violence happening in, in cities across the state that, you know, they want to make sure that they have you know, a firearm and they've gone through the proper training. And that's something that means a lot to them. You know, a black gun ownership, for example, over the last couple of years has increased a lot, you know, during the pandemic. And so, you know, I respect folks' right and, and, and desire to want to own a firearm. There are ways to do that safely. And, you know, and we can, it's not an either or. We can have measures that allow for that safe management of that right, but then also put measures in place that protect all of us and prevent people who aren't able to manage that right responsibly from gaining access to to those types of weapons. To me, if you can get a, if you have to go through a long process to become a driver, 
a license and training. You should have to go through a license and training before you can get any kind of gun, own a gun. And I also think that there should be background checks for your mental health mm-hmm. and um, your ability to handle a lethal weapon. Yeah. So to me, to me, this, this is a very important issue um, that we need to really, I, I admire very much the prime minister of New Zealand. She, she just really took a handle on it. And I appreciated that. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of gun owners don't support that. I'm not, I'm not against hunting. I think hunting, you know, for food is something we've all done and um, through our era, but these weapons that are, you know, that are high number, you know, rounds um, that are you know, automatic type. Weapons. Yeah. Automatic. And um, so anyways, that is a big issue for me. I don't know what you can do in the federal level about yeah. that though. I mean, you can push legislation to then again, you know, create incentives to try to um, have states m- move in, in different directions and then also require background checks, you know, and have that happen at scale at the federal level. Um, you know, that that's possible. And, you know, the other thing I would say that isn't always thought of as directly connected to this issue, but on the topic of mental health, I mean, yeah, we can have a lot of regulations in place to make sure through background checks that people who maybe are, are struggling with mental health issues aren't able to access, you know, a, a gun. But the other side of that is we could also just make sure a lot of people have access to good mental health services <laughs> so yes. that we don't have so many people who are in crisis. And that is another reason why I support universal health care, Medicare for all, that it includes mental health care, because we are, we are in crisis right now. And, uh, and a lot of people need that, that support and you shouldn't have to jump through a lot of hurdles to get it. What that does is ensure that people just don't get access to the care that they need. And then we are left to deal all of us collectively with the chaos that results. It's it's not right. It's not sustainable. And, and there are things that we can do about it. All right. Ohio is polarized. Mm-hmm. Can you reach the rural conservative and the independent voters? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the main reasons why I felt obligated to run because I do think that a lot of those voters in those areas, and these are you know folks who were some of the Obama swing Trump voters, are uh, are over are over regular politicians. I think a lot of us are, but especially in those areas. And we see, I mean, Joe Biden wasn't able to win our state, and so you know if we needed another wake up call, well, there we had it. And you know at the end of 2020, that doing the same old thing, running the same type of Democratic candidate, is not going to get the job done. And somebody who has been you know a creature of Washington in Congress for 20 years and overseen the economic destruction of many parts of our state is not going to be the person to woo those folks back. But what I'm finding on the campaign trail is, you know, when I showed, when I show up one showing up at all is meaningful, right? I don't know that we've always been doing a great job of that sharing with people, my story, which is a story of hustle of nothing being given of putting the work in and making things happen for not just myself, but the community around me. That is what makes people believe we need to be real about the fact that this election, very few of them do come down to the nuances of public policy. They come down to, do I think that you care about me, that you understand what I'm going through and that you're going to fight for what I need? And that is going to take a different kind of Democrat. And that is why I'm in this race. I, I present that option. All right, Morgan, how can we help you win? We don't have any more time. When is the primary? <laughs> So the primary is May 3rd. The first order of business is getting on the ballot. So um, the filing deadline is coming up February 2nd. Anybody who has not yet signed a petition but can, um, please reach out. 
contact at morganharper.org or DM me on social media. We'll get you plugged in. We have a new organizing director who just joined the campaign and is managing that effort. We really appreciate everybody's support and all our social media platforms, MH4OH, uh, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. We'll, we'll be in touch. All right, Morgan, we're behind you and let's get all the way to the Senate. Let's do it. Thanks. Man. All right. In addition to our Friday 5 p.m. broadcast on WGRN.org, Grassroots Ohio now airs on Sundays at 2 p.m. on WCRSFM.org and at 4 p.m. in Moundsville, West Virginia. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Grassroot Ohio, 94.1 FM, WGRN.org. We air Friday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can listen to all our previous shows archived on the top post of our Grassroot Ohio Facebook page. There's a time to listen and learn, a time to organize and strategize, and a time to stand up, fight back. I'm down, I'm down.